Hey everybody, it's Lori. And this is Matt. And it's time for another episode of Teachers Teacher Saves, Saves World. World. Welcome to another episode of the Teacher Saves World podcast, the gathering place for parents and teachers that are trying to save the world one teenager at a time. We are Lori and Mad Jones, married high school teachers and parents of two teens, and we'll be your hosts for today's show. Please take a moment to hit that subscribe button and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All of this information and more can be found at teachersavesworld.com. Also at TeacherSavesWorld.com, you'll find a link to Matt's book on Amazon, Helping Teens Succeed in High School and Life, the perfect guidebook for any parent or teacher working with teenagers. We're also proud to be a part of the School Rubric Community, an exciting hub for educators from around the world that want to inspire and be inspired. You can find out more at SchoolRubric.com. On today's episode, we're talking about... Are we stuck with distance learning? Oh boy. Are we stuck? Are the robots taking over? We they are right now. <laughs> and it's going to be for a while. Is the future that I have just feared here? Are we in it? Well, I think uh the unknown is upon us and the best way to be prepared for the unknown is to have a lot of different uh what's the word I want? Just a lot of different plans or a lot of different things to pull from yeah. at your fingertips. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. And the versatility. Yeah. And so for this episode, we, uh, we, went, we went to the source. We went to somebody who's really thought about this. Um, his name is Matt Rhodes, and he, and he wrote a book and where he talks about where we need to be ready. I mean, this, this book is so of the moment. We need to be ready to slide between distance learning hybrid blended learning in-person instruction, right? Because, yeah. you know, what we're seeing is this, this situation is, is fluid. Yeah. And we, we, we might go, you know, right now, a lot of us, a lot of our districts were distance learning. We're fully online. And then the idea is we're going to go maybe hybrid blended something. And then we're going to go, you know, back in person when the coast is clear. But as we've seen, just when we think the coast is clear, maybe something flares up. Yeah. Right. And we got to go back. So um, he came up with his idea. He calls it the toggled term. We got, we have to be ready to toggle. Yeah. Right. And so they, they cannot be such different things, right. You know, uh, online learning, you know, blended learning, in-person learning. Yes. We've got to sort of fluidly move between them, have some tools at our disposal that work in all of those modalities. Right. I was nervous to talk to Matt a little bit because um, he's like a tech guy. Yeah. And I thought, oh God, is my anxiety going to just rise because I'm talking to this like tech expert mm -hmm. in education and I'm going to see all my deficits, right? And I didn't. I felt better. He did. He he really made us feel good. He did. You're going you're gonna to hear that in the interview. Like yeah. He, we, <laughs> we kind of like, we love him. We gave him some love and he, we I think maybe he's like, who are these people? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah. he did. He made us feel really good because we all know that a good tech support person 
does not make the novice feel crappy. Right. You know, like that old Saturday Night Live skit. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was Jimmy Fallon. It Remember was Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon playing like the tech guy. And <laughs> he's like, uh, so did you, uh, you know, the confused look on the uh, on the, the worker yeah, like, like oh no the tech guy's like, coming move over <laughs> let, let me just you know come in here and he's like hey uh shall i save this game of minesweeper for you <laughs> yeah. that's all right <laughs> and we have an awesome tech guy at our school by the way tim yeah. seibel shout out he never makes us feel lame even yeah. though it's like oh laura you didn't turn the monitor on you know yeah. those kind of things like my screen is black yeah. and it'll just be like power <laughs> and he does not say a word i'm like tim i love you yeah but um uh, matt Rhodes made us feel really, he did. really he did. good. Well, why don't you, uh, Lori, give us uh, his bio. Okay. Well, I'll tell you one thing about Matt Rhodes is he likes school. Okay. He majored in poli-sci at Point Loma, Nazarene University, and followed it with one, not one teaching credential, not two, but three in English, social science, and special ed. Wow. I know. And then he went on to pursue his master's in teaching. And finally, the big kahuna, he went and got his doctorate in educational leadership from Concordia in wow. Irvine. Wow. You think you'll ever get your doctorate? No. Yeah. No way. Okay. Well, good for one Matt did. At least not like a, <laughs> maybe an honorary someday. Maybe I'll do something really great someday and then someone will give me an honorary, but I'm not going to get a real one. Whew. I, there's no way I'm going back to I school. know. It's a ton of work. Yeah. But, uh, but Matt did it. And so right now he's working as an education specialist in a public school district in North San Diego County. And he's a lecturer in ed tech. Um, all while teaching math on the side. He's actually, so I love this about him. He's teaching special need kids, needs kids, algebra on zoom. Wow. So he's in it. Right. And I think that feeds his, you know, his power to <laughs> express to working teachers. He is a working teacher. Yeah. Um, so he's an expert in ed tech and he focuses on data driven decision making and he's co-authored a book on educational technology. He has a blog and him and his wife reside in beautiful San Diego. So you can purchase the book we we're focusing on today is called navigating the toggled term preparing secondary educators for navigating fall 2020 and beyond. So this is timely. Yes. It's on Amazon right now serves as a critical guide for educators and administrators who have to make super duper challenging decisions like on the fly in the moment. And, um, most likely this is going to continue these decisions. Yeah. It was almost like a, like a futurist, like one of those people that sort of predicts we, you know, he mentions this, I think, uh, no, maybe we talked about this off air, but where he, um, you know, it was like March, right. And he's kind of sees this thing developing and realizes, Oh we, yeah. We need to be ready for this. You asked him, how do you write the book so fast? Right. Cause fall 2020 is in the title. Yeah. But in March he said, you know, he started we're not going to be out of this for 12 to 18 yeah, months. Yeah, He started reading the tea leaves and sort of, uh, you know, kind of put together, you know, all of his knowledge and his expertise into, into a book. And so, yeah, really interesting guy. Yeah. It was really fun. Yeah. And, and then I'm also like, he was born after we were done with high school. I know that depressed me. Man, that, I mean, that's I, okay. It's not his fault. Yeah. Yeah. He was born in 1990 and then yeah. we graduate high school. Uh, girls are bucks. Wait, girls are foxy. Boys are heaven. We're the class of 87. 87. Yeah. We're the class of 80. Yeah. <laughs> God. And he's got his doctorate and he's done it's all okay, this stuff. And honey, was, it's okay. He was born after. Hey, out of all the mats in the world, I choose Matt Jones. Oh. Sorry, Matt Rhodes. All right. Well, here, <laughs> here is our interview with Matt Rhodes. All right, Matt Rhodes, welcome to Teacher Saves World. 
Thanks for having me, guys. I, I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to talk to you guys about distance learning, ed tech, and just kind of the reality we're currently in in K-12 in our country. It's just definitely just such an interesting time. So um, it's going to be a good conversation, I think. It is. You know, it's it's everybody in education right now is just absorbed. I mean, anybody with a child, right, is even absorbed. It is all, I mean, it's all over the news. It's, it's what everybody is talking about. And, and that's, you know, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Cause we have tons of questions. Cause we just, we just finished our first full week back yeah. at school. And for edu- as educators right now, I think it's like maybe less informative and more therapeutic. Like it's like therapy, like to talk to each other about this crazy. Yeah. Right you know, it, and, 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 uh, I, uh, heading into this conversation, Matt, I was, I was thinking like, man, a guy like Matt Rhodes, I, I love him and I hate him at the same time. It's like, I love you because you are, you're going to really help me out. You, you've got so much information, but at the same time, it's like, as a veteran teacher who spent so long, like non-tech, it's like, oh man, it's like, are you the harbinger of a future that I've just been scared of my, my whole life? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so funny. So I was speaking at San Diego State's, uh, school of education orientation last night to, about a hundred teacher candidates. And I said, you guys are probably in the best position uh, versus a lot of other teacher candidates in the last 20 years, because you guys are going to learn how to use all this tech and do it online and learn how to teach in all these settings versus, you know, someone that's been teaching for even five to 10 years or even longer because they have to completely readjust. And it's like, everyone's going back to being a first year teacher this year. Oh, totally. We've truly, we've been talking about that. And, and, um, We've been talking about how, you know, Lauren and I have been teaching for 20 years and we feel like, you know, prior to us, there was a super long, super long period of time in education where there was very little change. It was, you know, it was textbooks, it was pencil, it was paper. So you could have a 30 year career and you could have your child have a 30 year career and your grandchild have a 30 year career. And you basically all kind of had the same methods and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, systems and all that kind of stuff. And now all of a sudden we're going through this radical change radical change. And so teachers like Lori and I are really being caught in this. We're having to shift, you know, and I'm really having to embrace all of this new stuff. And you're right. These new, these new kids, these kids in these, these programs right now are probably in a great position, right? Because not only did they sort of grow up with this technology, but they're, I'm sure the, the, the teacher programs are shifting and they're being trained in these ways. Like we didn't. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I mean, I posed the question to them um, and basically asked them, like, what type of ed tech tools have you used as your, uh, you know, career as a student? And, you know, is is vast. I mean, most uh, of these teacher candidates uh, stated probably about five to 15 of the main, mainstream ones, like Flipgrid, right. even Pear Deck, uh, Google Classroom, Zoom, I mean, all these, uh, you know, tools. So, you know, at least on the student end, they know how to use them. But I told them, you know, what's most important, though, is that the tools aren't a driver, driving force. Rather, it's being able to align the instruction with the tool. The, mm-hmm. the instruction drives the tool, not Amen. the tool drives instruction. So, yeah, definitely. You know, I, uh, it always blows my students' minds. Matt, I, it might, this might blow your mind, too. I graduated college. My bachelor's, I didn't use a computer at all. I, I was, I was typewriter, right? I was, it blows my, not, yeah. not that computers didn't exist. They just weren't widely, <laughs> they weren't widely used at that time. So, uh, you know, this is early well, 90s. We were at Long Beach State and there was a computer lab by the theater that you could go up to, but otherwise we had a brother, uh, brother 
typewriter in our dorm yeah, rooms. Yeah, you were you were advanced if you had the typewriter that had the little screen where you know it actually let you make some, make some corrections before you hit you know <laughs> type whatever. Um, but let's let's jump into sort of like the big idea of your book. So you uh, super interesting title, and it's so it's it's so of the moment. It is uber current. I got it. Like, did you like, did you just write this overnight? I mean, this is so like of the moment. Let me just read your title. So navigating the toggled term, preparing secondary educators for navigating fall 2020 and beyond. First, thank you for writing a book for secondary educators. Amen. I feel like there's so few, right? We were talking about there's so few books for secondary educators, but the toggled term. Okay. So toggling. So you're sort of saying we need to be ready. We need to be ready to toggle between you know, online, in-person, and hybrid, blended learning, and we need to be ready for that. So kind of just, what's the main idea of your book, and what do you mean by toggling? So um, basically, um, I realized in March that this pandemic was going to be a long time. It could last for probably 12, 18 months, two years, and I knew that, you know, we're going to be online now until then the school year, and I had a uh, large background in ed tech and knowing how to utilize it. I've been doing a flipped classroom for um, several years, and I just took a lot of time to look at the research and my own experiences with ed tech. And I just started writing. I started writing a number of blog posts, and I just started putting together the book. And I realized, like, this is needed now because teachers more than ever in the next, you know, 12 to 24 months are likely going to have to teach an online blended and then moving back into more of a traditional classroom. And even when we move back to more of a traditional classroom, it's going to be really different because think of like all the acceleration and innovation that we're currently doing in in ed tech and Mm -hmm. teaching in all these settings is that, you know, the modern educator now is going to have to be able to teach in these three settings, Mm -hmm. um, even, you know, after this crisis is over. And I, I just wanted to, you know, provide a resource to help prepare teachers just, you know, not only for now, but just what's going to happen, you know, after this crisis. Cause I think just, you know, the acceleration has, you know, probably we thought that, you know, such a big uh, explosion of ed tech and just online learning would probably, ha- you know, happen more in like five to 10 years, but in a matter of months, it's come to be, and it's going to be our future. Oh uh, yeah. You know, it, <sighs> Because, you know, granted, veteran teachers like myself, if we weren't, uh, I don't want to say, if we were reluctant to embrace ed tech, we could, right? I mean, ed tech has been coming through and people have been, you know, with all kinds of trainings and all kinds of advances. But if you were, if you were kind of stuck and you didn't want to change. You, you could hide from it. You could hide. But now, but now we can't hide anymore. Yeah, right? exactly. You know, we have to get. And I think your your book is going to do wonders, Matt, for um, peace of mind and the anxiety that educators are going through. This summer, you know, our dis- poor, our district, poor things up there, in every district, we went from we're coming back, we're not coming back, we might come back, and then we're not coming back. It's all distance learning. And um, we didn't know how to plan. Usually planning for a school year is a joy of mine. I'm in my room, I'm prepping, I'm, you know, making a few copies, I'm decorating, I'm, you know, but this was a whole different kind of prep. And um, we were given maybe a couple weeks when they finally made the decision, it's all online. Um, So I think the fact that we need to be able to pivot and toggle is vital 
for our psyches. Yeah, you know, and, and I, uh, to, to kind of build on that, I, I like because your book is not just geared towards secondary like teachers. It is basically the, 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 the leadership, the district, because it is a group effort. You're talking about building your infrastructure, right? I mean, it, this is not just something that teachers can do on their own. Because I, you know, I can't make sure that my classroom's, you know, internet connection is up to snuff and I've got the right cameras and I've got all these things. So you are talking to the whole district and you develop this toggled term instructional model, okay, that we can kind of use as a, an instructional model to kind of move between these, these areas. Can you touch on that, like this toggled term instructional model? It's fantastic. Yeah, so initially, uh, in the first part of the book, I talk about building your online instructional infrastructure, which is basically building your learning management system, um, and then having, for example, content creation tools like uh, Microsoft 365, G Suite, and then you have your virtual meeting tools, and then you have your additional ed tech tools for like student engagement, collaboration, and assessment. And basically building this infrastructure then allows you to deliver instruction anywhere. So mm -hmm. it could be an online setting, it can be in a blended setting, and it can be in a traditional setting. It can move seamlessly. And really, the toggle term instructional uh, model allow it basically aligns various strategies with each setting. So you can do all these strategies along with this infrastructure in all settings. So that's basically what I'm arguing is that it's not going to be a large transition if you have this uh, infrastructure in place. It's rather something that can be quite seamless as well as allow for us to have students continue learning. Yeah. So that's kind of the purpose of that model. Yeah. You know, and I think, so what you're doing is sort of, you're giving organization. I feel like, you know, districts had sort of, we had collected all of these items. We had bought licenses to these programs, right? And we had, we had done some PD, but we hadn't necessarily organized it in a way to be fluidly moving between online in-person, right? So you kind of took basically the stuff that was sitting out around in the garage, right? The stuff we just kind of like thrown in there. We have it, it's somewhere, but you kind of organized it in a way that makes it more, I want to say more usable. It's, it's great. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm just trying to develop a way that, you know, in the first chapter of the book, I talk about selecting ed tech tools and I want teachers and just everyone involved in district is to uh, think less is more. It's not entirely... Oh. Thank you. Really Wait, is. Matt, Matt, it's Matt, so can you please, can you please say that again, please? I think just for anything in education, you don't want to make it overly complex. And I tried to make sure towards the beginning of the book for everyone involved in districts and teachers is to think less is more because, <sighs> you know, it's, it's not something to overbore people with. I mean, yeah. you, you want to make sure to do just a couple things really, really good yes. and just know, uh, you don't need to have like 50 tools. You need to have just honestly probably five tools in your online instructional infrastructure. And that's really, that's all you need. Five, Matt, five Matt, tools max. I can't tell you how happy those words just made me. I feel me like right I now. just had a body massage. <laughs> like I went to a spa oh, and I went in the sauna I and then God, I got like a massage. Waves of euphoria were just like... <laughs> flowing through my body just now because I got to tell you, Matt, like, uh, I, I know, like, uh, I don't like, I don't want to say that I'm old, but I, I feel like I am t sometimes when it comes to this, I feel like we, I think a lot of educators feel like there's a fire hose of ed tech just flowing like in our face all the time. 
And and we were just talking about this this, this morning. I was like, God, let's just let's just pick a few things. Pick a few things that work that we can get really comfortable with and and use them effectively instead of like this deluge of like hundreds of, you know, just systems and and ah, less is more. Yeah, that's that's why I chose chapter 1 to be selecting your edtech tools because if you have that framework in place and you know exactly what you need for your classroom, your school and your students, then, you know, just choose those uh, you know, 3 to 5 tools and know how to use them and how they apply and you know, how to provide instruction with them and you should be pretty solid. Yeah. I mean, it's not like there's too many tools out there. Yeah. To be honest. There really yeah. are. Not everyone can be good at, you know, 50 to a hundred tools. I mean, I'm learning a new tool every other day and I, I can't even keep up. Yeah. yeah. We, and, this, um, I, I love you, Matt Rhodes. I yeah. Love you, and, and Matt just said three too. He said three to five. Yeah. He brought it down a little I love more. It. Love it. <laughs> I think this is a good bridge to some of our, like we have kind of some little specific questions, Matt. And I don't know. Um, um, how you'll handle these, but like I had a, I have a, one of my really good friends lives in Hawaii and she teaches at a, at a school there. And she was saying at one of their PDs recently, um, somebody suggested the teacher should not be talking for more than nine minutes before cutting the kids. And we're talking zoom, um, before cutting the kids loose. And cause that is about their cognitive, uh, max as far as digitally, what do you, you know, I just kind of throwing that out there. What do you think about that? So I think with any online learning, so let's just take secondary, for example, um, say your period of time that you're going to supposedly to have instruction for your students for one period is 80 minutes. You want to chunk everything out. So say, for example, you start synchronous, which is a live session on Zoom or Google Meet. You do it for 10 minutes to start. Then you let them go and work on a module by themselves. And, you know, some students may race through it. Some students may take longer, but you create opportunities for them to, uh, you know, personalize it. And then you come back halfway through, you do, you know, five to 10 minute talk or breakout rooms, and then you let them loose again to do something else. And then you come back in for the uh, last little bit and it's like a formative assessment or just a check-in or self-assessment. And then they move on. I mean, it's, uh, you could do something like that. And then I think what you can do is like you would in any sort of lesson is chunk. Right. Which is chunking. just good teaching. Yeah, exactly. Live or yeah. instructional strategy. I love that. It's that time we were talking about that. So you get on there with them nine to 10 minutes, you're talking, you're checking in, you're taking role, you're kind of, you know, going over the objectives. This is what we're doing today. And then you cut them loose still stay live though, right? You're still there, even though maybe you, you turn off your screens, they can still chat you, they can still, but you're still on that Zoom. Exactly. So they're, they're, they basically mute me. And then if they want to come back in and have a conversation one-on-one on, one on one or a small group, we definitely can set, you can set that up. And I think that's probably one of the best ways to be a good resource to your students when they're doing their asynchronous work during a class period. But what's great about the asynchronous piece is that even if they don't finish it during their class or if they're unable to at home at that time, it creates the opportunity for them to do it at any time. So it's like, it creates more equity in mm -hmm. that instance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. The equity. Yeah. You I know, like and that. I, uh, that's great. You know, cause we are, God, we're just trying to, we're trying to figure this out, right? We're trying to, 
um, take what we know is just good teaching of having like a teacher in a room with students. And that's how we would teach. And I think some of us are just being thrown when we, we move into this environment and we kind of feel like, um, I think some of us are feeling like, oh, we got to talk more because it's, they can't talk because they're all just like faces on a screen or God, I wish they were faces on a screen. I have a lot of black boxes on a screen. I have a lot. I'm really, maybe let's, I'm going to go, I'm going to go down this path just for a second. So I, I totally understand. Right. And so you, you mentioned equity and that has always got to be in the forefront of our thoughts. And we understand that there are just some limitations that some students are going to have as far as, uh, you know, handling they're having their, their camera on because it takes up more bandwidth and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, we don't, we're not mandating students have their screens on. I'm really encouraging them. I'd love to see their faces, but I work with mostly freshmen and I, I have like maybe a third of my students, maybe even less than a third, maybe a quarter of my students. So I've got classes of, you know, 35, 36, I'll have like seven or eight students with a camera on and then a bunch of black boxes. Yeah. And then I have seniors and they'll, you know, 32 of them will have their camera on and three won't. It's the flip. It's interesting with our elders, right? And the freshmen are just more like, mm, checking it out. If yeah. they're like sheep, if a few cameras are off, more come off, more come off. Yeah. You got any, you got any, uh, any wisdom as far as like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best yeah, to like convince them to turn it on. I want to see their faces just like, I got to tell you, we're doing this interview today by Zoom because we wanted to see Matt because yeah. we, this is our second interview. We did the first one with uh, Serena Pariser and uh, it went, you know, well, but we did it over phone and we were craving seeing yeah, her. Yeah, you know, it's different when yeah. you can see somebody's face versus just, you know, hearing their voice. Um, you got any tips, anything I could do to try to convince my students to turn those cameras yeah, on? Yeah, a couple things. So I think uh, one of the activities that I did was at the first day of school, I created a Flipgrid assignment where they would just click a link and then they record themselves pronouncing their name and saying one interesting thing about themselves. Oh, great idea. And they could either record their face or they could do some sort of emoji with a pirate hat on. I mean, at least it would give some sort of, it, through my lens as a teacher, something about them as well as learn the learn how to pronounce her name. And then another activity I decided to do, uh, not only just with the students I have at the high school level, but also with the uh, university graduate students, is that we did about me slides. So I create a Google slide presentation and um, I create a model slide, which is my about me slide, and it had my picture on it. And then I had each student write about five questions that relate to them. And then they provide a picture, whether it's a Bitmoji or one of themselves or something that is like their hobby or interest. And then what the students were able to do after about uh, eight to 12 minutes is do a digital gallery walk and get to know who mm -hmm. their classmates are through that. So those are some two activities that I thought that were uh, successful about that. Yeah, good. You know, because you, yeah. you, you dedicate an entire chapter in your book to building community online. And I think that's, you know, for all of us educators, we understand how important it is to, to spend that time early in the semester building that classroom community, that safe space where everybody feels, you know, safe and welcome and they can speak up and they feel supported. And I think that was one of the main concerns. I think when we all kind of got news that, hey, this was real, we're going to be online. And I think the first thing in our thoughts was, how are we going to build community through this screen? Um, you know, so, you know, what are some of the things you touch on? I mean, you, you spend a whole chapter on it 
and you know, because you know how important it is. So how are we doing that? How are we building community online? I mean, I think the first two examples I gave you is uh, just one step in doing yeah. so. I think that all of our lessons should have at the very beginning, a social emotional component where we first assess mm -hmm. and show our students how everyone is feeling and then have an activity that uh, relates to building social emotional learning. So for example, you have maybe a, a scenario on a Google slide and you're on Pear Deck, which is an interactive slide show. And basically the students would respond to like, what does this word or what does the situation mean to them? Mm -hmm. And then you share everyone's responses. Yeah. So oh, I like that. Just one empathy. slide. Yeah. One slide. And yeah. understanding. And I think that that social emotional piece is really important to building that community. In addition, I think also uh, personalizing the learning, giving the students choice and voice in mm -hmm. the assignments that you're creating with yeah. the ed tech. Yeah. Great. Idea. You know, I did a, um, because I was really kind of concerned about our, our right now, right now our district is not allowing us to use breakout rooms. Um, they are changing that because I think there's been an uproar of like, we need to have breakout rooms. We need to have that opportunity for those students to talk because they're not really talking, right? We're not, because, you know, some of them just don't want to speak up in front of, you know, 35 other students. And, um, but anyway, so we're moving in that direction, but I did a, I did a Padlet, right? A Padlet. Uh, so, you know, and it was just, it was a sort of a get to know each other. It was a way for us to all talk to each other. And so it, what we did was I just said, Hey, everybody share just one dream you have for your future. Um, it could be a dream job. It could be like a place you want to visit. It could be, you know, uh, an adventure you want to have. Maybe it's something family related. And so everybody just posted on this wall. So we're all looking and it was so fun to watch it just populate, right? All these things just started coming up on the wall. And then I was like, all right, Hey guys, we're going to spend the next five minutes. I want you to comment on as many people's post as you can and then just watching them and I you know I did all the stuff like hey let's keep it really positive let's keep it appropriate you know and and oh my god it was like it was the most joyous day I had in the whole last week because it was students talking to each other and they were being like their comments to each other were so cool yeah and they, they were, were alive. so positive they were alive you know yeah. and and then you know like students popped in and were like hey Mr. Jones if if somebody asked us a question can we respond to it it's like yes totally like this is what they're craving right they're craving this kind of interaction and that was a really good uh strategy that you did Padlet's awesome I mean it's I mean online bulletin boards and it's kind of uh, the way that it functions is similar to social media. Mm -hmm. The students know how to do it immediately right. and, and, you know, it comes second nature. So that's a great way to build that community there. I, I really like that. You yeah. know, it sounds like philosophically, we got to get off the uh, video. Like we've got to get off wishing they all will turn their videos on and just focus on the activities we do that just naturally engage them all. Are you, kind of, are you, are you talking to me right now? I'm kind of talking, giving Matt a little, a little pep <laughs> talk getting, because man. you know, and, and we really can't. And I know some kids, they have a, they have a, a, a home. They don't want to show off. They have many family members in the home. They don't know what's going to happen and they just don't want that camera on. You know, I, I have a, we, we have a lot of students that were, I, I know that there are like five or six kids in that house, all of them online, like the yeah. stress on that home's Wi-Fi is incredible. The other day I had my group, my student on and her two sisters that I had also taught were like, Hey, Miss Jones. So I had all three, Alyssa, Lizzie and Daisy. Yeah. <laughs> it was very cute. But, um, you know, 
I, I do understand. It's just, uh, I, in Flipgrid, I've, I've, I've got to dive into more, Matt. Because on Flipgrid, can they also see each other's videos? Can you go on and they all kind of comment on each other? So you can either have it just, for example, you can have them just directly just interact with you or they can interact with their all their classmates. And what's amazing about Flipgrid is you can personalize it. So you can have like emojis on your face. You can have a pirate hat on your head. You could have... Um, for example, in math, you can have a digital whiteboard out and the student could be going through the problem and explaining it to you that way. Wow. So there's so many different fascinating okay. things that you can do with Flipgrid and you can, you know, assess them. You can build rubrics into it. You could do um, just so many different types of activities. So I, I, I really enjoy it. It's That's a good awesome. Platform. I, I teach a speech communications course and most of it, you know, are presentations, right? Or debates and they're live. And I'm thinking... We cannot be on a Zoom and have 36 kids each present. No. Right? <laughs> we can't do that. That won't work. That no. will torture all of us. <laughs> but, you know, if you do a flip grid and you pick three that you want to watch and comment on or, I don't know, you you know, more flexibility. Yeah. yeah. Or they create a YouTube video and they upload it to your channel and then they present it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Love it. You've mentioned a few programs. You, you know, stick to three to five. What are your three to five that are you that you find yourself using the most? Like, what are the programs or uh, you know interface? Yeah, so um, so let's just go through the um, components of the online instructional infrastructure. So first, my learning management system. So this year, I'm using Google Classroom and Seesaw combined oh, because Seesaw. Google Classroom I can provide resources, assessment, and then I can use the Google Classroom stream. For example, I don't post announcements on class on like classwork on it. I use it as our social media stream. Okay. So everyone can post like updates about themselves mm -hmm. and I can post updates about myself. And then I could post like, for example, okay, we're going to be doing this in like a day, but I, I keep it, you know, so that there's no classwork there on that stream. But on the classwork section of Google Classroom, I have like, uh, for example, our at your own pace slideshows where they go in and take notes and on the slideshow, watch videos, and then they um, also have their assessments that are gonna be on Google Classroom. And then I then use Seesaw as my platform for all their assignments. Because for example, in math, and especially uh, since I'm teaching uh, students with special needs is that I can create like digital manipulatives on Seesaw. They can record their responses. They can record a video. Uh, they can draw, they can take a picture of their assignment and submit it. And it's just really simple. And, you, you know, it's a really uh, great way to differentiate and personalize on Seesaw. So I use those for my uh, learning management system. And then moving to um, my content creation is that I use G Suite, Google G Suite. So mm -hmm. I use, you know, just all those apps. And then for my virtual meeting tool, I use Zoom. Yeah. And then for my student engagement tool, I use Pear Deck for um, engaging live slideshows where they get to interact with the slides. Mm -hmm. And then for uh, collaboration, I use Padlet um, and then, or Flipgrid. And then for my assessment is I either use a Google form mm -hmm. or I do uh, use that GoFormative. And that uh, basically helps me create multiple types of assessments so I can differentiate the assessments and it aligns the assessments with standards. So that's kind of, the ones that I'm using, but I'm integrating them slowly. So the first two weeks are me showing the students how to use some of the tools. And then over time, I'll add more as I go. Yeah. So I have like probably about five that I'm using now. 
but I'll probably add a couple more here and there in the future, but I'm building routines around these for the next, you know, month. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And Lori was taking lots of Look notes it. while you were talking. I took a whole page of notes, man. <laughs> hey, now, um, uh, we, so this, this topic actually came up. Uh, Lori was uh, part of a, uh, a district-wide group of uh, educators, uh, parents, and students uh, talking about distance learning and coming together and kind of uh, discussing things moving forward. And she had a really interesting um, suggestion from uh, a senior student at another campus. Uh, Lori, why don't you go ahead and share that? Yes, this um, Sebastian, he's awesome kid, senior. And he mentioned that with the, we do, they go to school 8.30 to 12.35 for 50-minute classes with about 15 minutes in between. And so he said by the time he gets off, um, his eyes are kind of sore. He's, you know, he needs to stretch. And he would hope, his suggestion to the faculty is that we do less, for the asynchronous work, we do less tech. Because they did go through and all get textbooks. Um, all the kids went through and got books. And he wanted to do more paper, book work, paperwork, you know, on the outside. And I thought, God, that's so impressive that a young man would say this, a 17-year-old. But can we do that? Right? Like... Could you right. do paper old school work and how would you get that back? I guess you're just taking pictures, but I, but yeah. I thought it was an interesting insight from a teenager saying, please mm-hmm. reduce the tech. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that for example, uh, one reason why I like using seesaw is that you can take a picture of your work and then submit it. And it, and I can like, for example, draw on it. Mm-hmm. I can provide comments. I really think that, you know, providing students that option, if they want to write out their work, then totally allow them to do it when yeah. we're doing like an asynchronous assignment. I mean, they're on the screen for far too long anyway. So yeah, I, I mean, I think providing those opportunities is important and it's also equitable because if you allow your students to take a picture of their work, instead of having to do it digitally, then yeah. it allows them to not look at a screen all day and not take up bandwidth. And um, I think that his suggestion is great. And I suggest that people try to work that in create the opportunity for students to Mm -hmm. submit their work by taking a picture from time to time versus actually having to do it digitally on the computer. Just to give them that option. uh, Right. Yeah, exactly. It ties into something you said before, providing them those, those choices. Right. And, and not only does that sort of, uh, you know, you empower them, you, you show that you value uh, them and their choices and, you know, they're more likely to kind of pick the one that maybe fits what they want. All right. So Matt, I want to, um, I'm going to, we're going to dive into one last thing here, then we're going to wrap it up. But I was kind of, I was on your website and I was looking at uh, your, your research, your doctoral uh, work. And the title of your, your thesis was uh, educational leadership efficacy, the relationship between uh, data use, data use confidence, leadership efficacy, and student achievement. And the one thing that really stuck out to me when I was kind of looking over that was data use confidence. And I thought it was so interesting that you chose to look at like the level of confidence or comfort that somebody has really factors into, right? And it just, it made me think about everything that we're going mm-hmm. through right now and just how maybe we overlook that part of this whole equation is the confidence and the comfort that comes with the confidence. So, I mean, what made you first sort of think to research that? And then how do you think, you know, our, the, the confidence that we have with all this kind of plays into this, this whole thing we're going through right now? 
Yeah. So um, when I was researching, I was just thinking of all the teachers and administrators I knew personally and how they use data. And honestly, in education versus under other industries like business, healthcare, we're really far behind. We're kind of still in the stone age, mm -hmm. but we're actually getting quite better because of all the data that the tech is uh, collecting every single day on students whether you think that's a good or bad thing, that's another story to talk about. But um, what I realized is that most people in terms of their uh, data use confidence uh, as an educator, they're generally overconfident in themselves. But when you talk <laughs> to other people, um, they mostly say that they're not very good. Other educational leaders are not good at using uh, data at all so mm -hmm. it's kind mm -hmm. of funny so i talk about that uh my quantitative portion was uh, basically filling out a survey talking about are you able do you feel like you're able to do this and then i had the qualitative piece they were filling out a free response about their experiences using data as well as like does your uh school or school district have a culture where data is you know something that people are using are they using it well Etc. And it was a complete opposite story there. So <laughs> it, was, it was really quite funny. And uh, it's just, you know, I think people when they are talking more about themselves, they have, you know, a higher level of confidence than when they're talking about other people. Yeah. And uh, I think it really, um, a researcher that I really like is John Hattie. And oh, yeah. he mm -hmm. talks about like teacher self efficacy is mm -hmm. one of the highest, um, basically predictors of student achievement. So I think that efficacy piece is really important. I mean, even though you may not be very good at it, if you if you talk about it with other peers or that other peers may not think that you're doing a really good job, but I think if you have confidence in what you're doing, you're gonna perform better. Yeah. Um, so I really think that, that it's important that even though uh, you know, you're, you're learning something or you, um, you know, might even be struggling with it, but if you actually have confidence in yourself in doing it, then I think that you're going to have better outcomes. Yeah. So yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. And uh, let's Matt, this conversation filled me with confidence. You are, <laughs> you, I, I feel so much better. I do like, like talking to you, talking to somebody who's just so just well versed like in this universe. In it. Yeah. You just made me feel so much better. I know, you know, uh, that I don't have to have a all 100, you know, ed tech tools, you know, figured out and integrated in my classroom. I told you it was therapy. It is. <laughs> Matt, this was an awesome conversation. Thank you. I, I hope, I think you filled everybody with confidence today. <laughs> We're all feeling so much better because of the conversation with you, Matt Rhodes. And so uh, your, you know, all of your details, we're going to have those up on the, they'll be on our show notes. They'll be up on our website. I encourage all of you guys, not just teachers. I, you know, if you are district level personnel, if you are, if you are educational leaders, uh, Matt's book is a, is a vital resource because whether we want to admit it or not, um, this is, this is a new reality for us. And Matt really, you know, addresses mm -hmm. those issues and, uh, gives, you know, great usable, practical, uh, tools and, and thoughts. And so, um, you know, Matt, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on Teacher Saves World. This was a great yeah, conversation. Thank you guys. I appreciate the opportunity and I'm glad that, you know, hopefully, you know, with work like this and conversations like this, we can give more people confidence with what they're doing. And, you know, ultimately that will create better outcomes for our students and schools long-term as we go through this. Yeah. Well and that's said. all that matters. That is kids. all that matters. Thanks, Matt.
Bye, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Have a good one. You too. You too. And just like that, another episode has come to an end. We are so grateful that you took the time to listen and invest in the lives of our teens, the leaders of tomorrow. Please remember to subscribe, review, follow, and spread the word to help us grow the coalition of caring adults needed to help our teens live their best lives. All of the details on how to help and stay connected can be found at teachersavesworld.com. Until next time, let's keep saving the world. One teenager at a time.